Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. Forrest Whitaker is, of course, the star of so many great movies. He has a knack for taking huge figures from history and portraying them as complex, fascinating, sometimes fragile people. He played Charlie Parker in Bird. He played Cecil Gaines, the White House butler, in The Butler. He won an Academy Award for Best Actor for his role as Idi Amin in The Last King of Scotland. These days, you can see him on the TV show The Godfather of Harlem, which is wrapping up its first season on Epics. He plays Bumpy Johnson, the real-life mob boss who operated in Harlem in the first half of the 20th century. When I talked to Forrest last year, though, he just finished a film about another famous real-life person. He played Archbishop Desmond Tutu in the film The Forgiven. It takes place in South Africa just after apartheid. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission is in full swing, holding public and private testimony from the victims and perpetrators of past wrongs. Archbishop Tutu was the chairman of the commission appointed by Nelson Mandela. In this scene, Archbishop Tutu is in a courtroom interrogating a colonel in the South African State Security Agency. In what looks like a small stage, sort of like a jury box, there are a handful of families seated. Each of them holds a photo of their deceased or disappeared relatives. Do you have nothing to say to these families? To David Lyon's family? Or... Simba Goniwe's family. Families who have had no news of their beloved son or their adored husband for years. Do you have nothing to say that would ease their pain? That might give them Closure? I will say only this, Archbishop. We were fighting a war against communism. I was battling a threat to us all. Communist regimes, harsh, repressive regimes, intent on making Africa theirs. Forrest Whitaker, uh, welcome to Bulls. I'm so uh, excited to get to talk to you. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Um... Did you get to meet Desmond Tutu uh, when you were preparing for this role? Yes. I mean, actually, I've known Desmond Tutu for a number of years. I may have met him before. I have a um, conflict resolution organization that works in about five different countries. Actually, our head trainer is in South Africa. So uh, I've talked to him about that and peace building at different times. And But, of course, it, it's quite different when you're like working on a part where you're to depict someone especially someone like him who's, uh, who's an icon and who, like, has um, such an aura, such an energy about him, you know? Were you afraid to portray such an iconic man on film? I mean, like, I saw, I, I, I just was uh, Googling around this morning and, uh, and I saw, like, uh, an article of South Africans who are just ready to be mad that you weren't doing the right South African accent. Um, but, like, that's the least of your worries. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? I can understand, too, like, you know, uh, that they would question that. And even for myself, I'm, I kept 
questioning whether I would at least be able to capture the spirit of the man, and that was what I was hoping that I would be able to do because I think there's some physical differences and di- a number of different things that that are, are different. But I mean, I wanted to capture his view on the world, his, his understanding of of life, because I think the one thing that he is is centered in his beliefs. He's a very highly spiritual man, and I think being such a highly spiritual man, he's able to have the anger and, and passion sometimes to fight against injustice and at the same time have the sense of humor to be able to see that things will find their way in time. He saw the film and he he liked the film and then he actually wrote a statement about the film and about you know how important he thought the film was and that was a, a good relief from him because as an artist I always question myself so it'll be easy for them to like go at me because as soon as they do well I'll start to question myself even more. <laughs> you know, I I like to imagine that part of that statement, which I have not read, just says like it's okay that Forrest Whitaker is basically one of me sitting on another of me's shoulders. It's <laughs> a nice, it's a nice thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's apparent that you spent attention on the physical qualities of this person who is very physically different from you. I mean, he's a kind of, I mean, as I remember him, kind of a small dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're a big dude. I mean, you like played high school football and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I watched, I mean, I did study the way he moves and the way he walks and the way he gestures, and, you know, and, and the way he speaks and the timbre of his voice. But still, there's, you're right, there's things that uh, I'm a much larger person than he is and a, a different facial structure and all that. You speak with a very light voice. At least you're speaking with me with a very light voice right now. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you speak that way because you are a big guy? I'm also I'm also pretty big, so like I I understand the way that being big in the world kind of affects everything around you. I don't know, maybe. You know, I mean, I remember when I was in IT school and uh I had a teacher uh, his name was Jim Wilson. He used to do speech. And he, he put me against the wall. And he was like pressing into my chest. He's saying, you need to speak, you know, speak. And he's like, you know, and my voice would be like bigger and boomier. He says, use the voice. Use your power. Use your power. And he didn't feel like I was using my uh, power as an actor and as an artist. And then I was uh, running from it. Maybe he's right. I don't know. When did you decide you were going to be an actor? I don't think I really decided I was going to be an actor until about maybe eight years into my career. You know? <laughs> so. All right, let me let me rephrase that question for us. <laughs> when did you decide you would like to become an actor? I decided I wanted to explore acting when I was like actually auditioned for Under Milkwood. I got the part of the manager, and that's when I kind of said, "Okay, this I like I like doing this a little better than the classical voice and classical music." And then that summer, I got cast in a play in, uh, call it at the Orpheum Theater, uh, the Beggar's Opera. And uh, I was accepted in, into both the music and the acting conservatories at USC. So uh, I went over there and I started studying. I guess I started to decide that I wanted to explore acting. I wasn't quite sure if it was what I should be doing. You know, I wanted to see if I had like real, I guess, I don't know, aptitude or if it was part of, you know, it was supposed to be my destiny to do something like that. And so that's why I say it took me a long time to finally decide that this was something that I was to do and that I would continue doing because my purposes for things are are amorphous, meaning that 
I have like a purpose of like what I want, how I want to live my life or what I'm trying to understand. And I think it's trying to find the right ways to do so. And uh, that was one way. And even tomorrow, maybe I'll figure out another. One of the things that I liked about your portrayal of Desmond Tutu in this movie is this man may literally be a saint. Mm. Um, And I think it would be easy to tell the story of the beatific magical man Desmond Tutu. Right. Um, Because like, yeah, I mean, I've, I shook hands with the man and I remember it vividly from when I was nine years old. He is a beatific magical man. Right. But, uh, you know, his story in this movie is about dealing with his own anger. Right. And I wonder how you, how you approach that as an actor, someone who has this extraordinary reaction to his own feelings, something that is... Um, but they, but that they are just normal human feelings. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think one of the things that he's struggling with is he's faced with his own question of whether he he can live by what he's what he preaches, his own faith, you know, which is um, that he can that you can't forgive and that you can love even the most heinous uh, crimes or or the most you know destructive individuals. It was something I was reading recently that Martin Luther King said when he was talking about uh, uh, and this, this, is a, this is a paraphrase of a quote when your enemy is vulnerable to not take advantage of that vulnerability to not try to harm to not try to hurt it's a quote I wish I had it with me right now so I could give it to you but it was really interesting to look that, that that was one of the keys that he was talking about when he was talking about love was the ability to be able to even when your enemy, those have done things to you, done wrongs to you, hurt you, said bad things against you, whatever, that when they get in a position where they need you, and he even says when they just need a, to get a new job or when they need to do this, where you could easily sabotage their advancement as a human being, that you choose not to. This is a part of the creative aspect of love, you know? And I'm trying to understand that. I'm continuing to try to understand that because I continually get trials and tribulations in my own life where people do things that are harmful and hurtful in some ways to me. But I still like I'm trying to understand them. And at times it could even feel like dysfunctional and and, and uh, uh, almost dependent, codependent to try to like be like, no, they did that. But I know that inside of them they're a good person. And I know they tried to harm me but to, at the same time, recognize that there's still something divine in each individual. Even when I was in South Central, I remember very seriously saying to my mom, I said, Ma, you know, if you look at people really closely and you listen to them, you can tell where they're from and what's happened to them. My mother said, oh, really? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I spent my life pursuing that same premise in some ways. We'll have more with Forrest Whitaker when we return from a quick break. Still to come. Forrest Whitaker gives me the business for having the temerity to ask Forrest Whitaker about Battlefield Earth. Fair enough, Forrest Whitaker. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Squarespace. Squarespace allows small businesses to design and build their own websites using customizable layouts and features including e-commerce functionality and mobile editing. Squarespace also offers built-in search engine optimization to help you develop an online presence. Go to squarespace.com slash NPR for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code NPR to save 10% off your first purchase, website, or domain. 
Planet Money is the man who popularized recycling by making a deal with the mafia. It's the bedroom beats maker making hits for Drake and Nicki Minaj and the woman trying to get her money back from Venmo. Planet Money from NPR. Have you ever watched a movie so bad you just needed to talk to somebody about it? Well, here at the Flophouse, we watch a bad movie and then talk about it. Yeah, you don't have to do anything. We'll watch it and we'll talk it. We do the hard work. Featuring the beautiful vocal talents of Dan McCoy. Stuart Wellington. And me, America's rascal, Elliot Kalin. New episodes every other Saturday at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcast, dude. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Forrest Whitaker, is an Academy Award-winning actor who has performed in dozens of films, including Bird, The Last King of Scotland, Black Panther, and my personal favorite, Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. He's also on TV these days, starring in the crime drama The Godfather of Harlem on Epics. He and I talked last year. I want to talk a little bit about some of the other amazing roles that you've had in your career. One of my favorite movies, I was going to say one of my favorite movies of yours, but I'm just going to straight up say one of my favorite movies is a movie called Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai, uh, which was uh, directed by Jim Jarmusch in the, uh, I guess, 1999. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those movies that's very difficult to explain to people. Because yeah. it doesn't sound like a real movie. <laughs> um, basically, you are the title character, mm-hmm. and you are a, a hitman and a sort of samurai, like a like a a warrior. Yes. And but you live in a contemporary city, um, and. You know, it's like a it's like a crime drama in some ways. I mean, and, and in some ways, it's a in some ways it's a comedy as well. But it really hinges on your performance as you know at the center of this film as this as this actual. You know, you have to believe in Bushido or whatever, mm-hmm. and we have to believe that you believe that with no explanation. There's no, it's not as though everybody is, there's like a lot of scenes of other people going like, oh yeah, that's Ghost Dog. He's like this because blah, 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 blah. Right. Right, like you're just in that world and you're natural to that world. Did that role come to you through audition or was that something that uh, Jim Jarmusch wrote for you? Uh, Jim wrote the movie for me. I mean, he... uh in some ways was thinking that this character was his representation of me. Uh, what happened was we met and uh, we said we'd like to work together. And about a year later he said, you know, let's, sit, let's can we get together and talk? And he had an idea. And uh, then he proceeded to like for months, for the, for about a year, like meet me in L.A. And we would just have like these sometimes four or five hour conversations. And then he would go back to New York and then one day he said, okay, I have enough. I'm going to go write the script. And he wrote Ghost Talk. It, it has some thematics that we were talking about even in a different way. You know, I think the movie deals with purpose and 
whether you can live and die by what you believe. And uh, I think that was a test that, that goes on with with him. Uh, it's quite challenging film, but it taught me a lot because obviously the character is quite different than me and it taught me a lot uh, as I was working on it, you know, to try to understand some different things. I was trying to think, I saw this movie when I was a senior in high school, and I was trying to think of why it was so resonant for me as an 18-year-old. And I think maybe it had to do with time that I spent as a teenager in the city that I grew up in. You know, I used to walk around a lot mm-hmm. as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a quality that you can have from living in a city that is your home, which is, you know, in a way you can be, you can be both alone and not alone and in a place where you're totally anonymous, but also where you entirely belong, like it all belongs to you in a way, at least it feels that way. Sure. And and you to it. And that felt like, a, I, I, it seemed like maybe that was the thing about Ghost Dog that must have animated me so that, you know, he has this quality of loneliness, certainly, and he is living, you know, an ascetic life. Yes. But there is a way that you relate to the city when you live in the city that I thought was very beautifully observed in that film as, you know, wild and surreal and ridiculous as it is. I mean, I think, you, like you said, you were being, if you were alone like that, walking on your own, I mean, you, you, one of the things that was challenging about the character, to play the character, was the silence. And that's what I, the movie really taught me about, was silence. And you see him just driving sometimes in the movie, like for five minutes, just looking at different things and moving forward through that. And I think there's something that people can understand. I think of that scene where um, you walk past the RZA who made the music for the film mm. and you guys just kind of dap each other and keep walking. Yeah. Um, you know, this, it that, has... That, that, that's, a diff- that's interesting because Ghost Dog represents also like an urbanite. There's like a number of urban figures like that for myself, he reminds me of like the Vietnam vets that I knew as a as a kid, like my cousin and stuff wearing their fatigue jackets and having come back from the war and living in the community, not doing, you know, not knowing what they did, seemingly mysterious, but but yet they exist. And the meeting that he has with, with uh, RZA is like he's, we recognize that there are many of them. There's not one. There's many of them like that, you know. And uh, that, that, was, that was an important statement to make because this there are you know like a lot of kids like you say like you were wandering just looking it's a big thing about society right now we have to start to claim some of the kids too that are wandering and trying to find their place Forrest we've spent the better part of an hour talking about some of the incredible highlights of your career but I also saw in the movie theater the movie Battlefield Earth uh huh which is, um, and I 
mean no disrespect to you, definitely the worst movie I've ever seen in a movie theater. <laughs> That's funny. I think I think uh, the movie it was it was possibly a little lost between being able to have the the finances to be a high tech movie and not and, and not deciding that it was going to be a low tech movie and just be um, you know simple and on the ground and not try to find ways to appear larger. Um, for me, it was interesting because. As a as a kid in high school, one of some of the first lines I ever remember saying, you know, in a I definitely did in a class, other than by myself somewhere in my room, was uh, from the Island of Doctor Monroe. You know, and in the Island of Doctor Monroe, the character he says, uh, "I am I am not an animal. I'm a man." You know, he's like, and uh, that that reminds me that that so the character of Kerr, which is the character I played in in Battlefield, was me kind of almost playing tribute to that. And uh, so for me, I don't really have the same feelings around the movie that the other people do. <laughs> it, it resonates with something with me. And then like, you know, some of the movies that I do that people might say, why is he doing that? But I'm going, I might be doing it for a totally different reason. And, you know, that reminds me of something or trying to understand something or whatever that may be abstract to somebody else. So I, I, get, I got you, though. <laughs> Forrest, great, great news. I'm going to play a clip from it here. <laughs> and Funny. I, wa- I was going to set it up, but I think it's probably even better without the setup. I'm going to be frank with you. Okay. <laughs> Man animals operating machinery. <laughs> Have you blown a head gasket? <laughs> I will be the laughing stock of the universe. Which is why you should have me take a group of man-animals with equipment out to a remote area, better that you don't know where, and try and train them. Have them do some test mining. That way, if it doesn't work out, no one will know. (laughs) Right. And if it does work, I will be vaporized. It is against the law. According to regulations, a planet ship faced with a profit-threatening situation is relieved of all other ordinances to pursue, to protect, and to acquire said profits. And there you have it. What I had—I haven't seen the movie since I saw it. In I the have movie to theater. see it again because I was trying <laughs> to remember that scene. You know, uh, I don't have. You know, it's funny too because like the other day, um, I went into. A, we were going to do a. Oh, I went into a pitch meeting uh, to talk to them about a TV series that I was thinking about doing, and like the writer, he saved like that he was going to say, and you know, Last King of Scotland, the Butler, and. Uh, Battlefield Earth, you know, that was his big joke. And everybody <laughs> bust out laughing in the room. I was like, what's the problem? <laughs> I don't have a problem. I don't have the problem you guys have with the movie. And I, and he, later he was like, I just could I didn't want to tell you because I thought you might tell me no. You know, and I was like, why? Was, you know, I don't have a problem. It's funny. <laughs> so, so it's funny to me. I, I think if it were, if it were like a, uh, if it were a dour, terrible film, I wouldn't be talking to you about it 18 years later. If it wasn't remarkable, if it wasn't like astonishing, if it hadn't burned itself in its memory through the verve that everyone put through into it. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Did you not have more interest in like the butler or one of the other ones? <laughs> I mean, no, because cause, cause, cause I don't have a problem with it, but I'm just like wondering what the intention, what's your, what's your intention? 
I just think it's, I just think, (laughs) to me, like, one of the amazing things about movies, which are such a collaborative art form, Mm -hmm. is that, and is that no one who works in movies is incompetent. It is way too hard to be incompetent and get a job because it's all gig-based. So, you know, everybody... You know, there are exceptions. You know, there are millionaires who direct their own films and pay for them themselves. But, like, if you're making a real movie, everyone has to be good at their jobs or else they would never get another job. And God knows you're good at your job. God knows John Travolta and Barry Pepper are great at their jobs. You know, everyone involved in the film is amazing at their job. And it's just remarkable to me that sometimes it goes wrong. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like sometimes it doesn't work. And that is like the most, the least that it has worked in anything that I've ever seen. Uh, And, but I enjoyed it. Like I, (laughs) like like it's, it's, it's really enjoyable in its disastrousness. You know what I mean? That's why I say I, I genuinely have no ill will about the movie. Oh no, it's okay. You know, like, I, I got in Ghost Dog first, right? That's one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> I know, but you could have, like, went to the crying game. You could have yeah, went to, yeah, like, yeah. But no, you chose that. You know, but I'm like, I, I, it's, it's, it should be provocative, but, I mean, I, I just don't have a, the same that's feeling fair. about it. That's very, <laughs> that's very, that's more than fair, Forrest. Well, Forrest Whitaker, I am so grateful that you took the time to come on Bullseye. Thank you so much for doing this. Sure, no problem. My pleasure. It's good talking to you. Forrest Whitaker from last year, an all-timer. His latest show, The Godfather of Harlem, just aired on Epics. Also, if you haven't seen Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai, definitely watch Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai. Love it so much. Brilliant movie. He's brilliant in it. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is produced at MaximumFun.org headquarters overlooking MacArthur Park in Los Angeles, California, where we have spent the entire fall roasting. I mean, just absolutely roasting. And our colleague Christian was nice enough to buy the office ice cream sandwiches. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Our production fellows are Jordan Cowling and Melissa Duenas. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, a.k.a. DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team, thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. And there are so many years of Bullseye interviews available to you. Uh, You can find them on our YouTube page. You can find them in your podcast app. You can find them on our website, MaximumFun.org. We're also on Twitter and Facebook, twitter.com slash bullseye. It's one place you can go to follow us, and I think that's it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.